from Good Travel and New Zealand Awaits, we're Josie Major and Debbie Clark. Welcome to Good Awaits, the Regenerative Tourism New Zealand podcast. Under the shadow of the global pandemic and climate crisis, tourism is facing enormous uncertainty and returning to business as usual is no longer an option. Our people and planet are relying on us to reconnect and reimagine. The Good Awaits podcast is a platform for the collective discovery of a new way forward. It's great to have you join us on this journey. Kia ora, ko Debbie toko ingoa. I'm Debbie Clark, founder and owner of New Zealand Awaits. Kia ora, ko Josie toko ingoa. I'm Josie Major, New Zealand Programs Manager for Good Travel. Welcome back to Good Awaits. This week, we had a lot of fun. We got to talk with Eliza Raymond of Good Travel. Eliza is the co-founder and director of operations at Good Travel, a New Zealand-based social enterprise working globally to transform the tourism industry into a force for good. Eliza holds a Master's of Tourism from the University of Otago and is currently carrying out her PhD in tourism management at Te Haringa Waka. Victoria University of Wellington, with the support of a Wellington Doctoral Scholarship. Eliza also serves as a Senior Advisor to RISE Travel Institute and teaches entrepreneurship, innovation and social change at the University for Peace, established by the General Assembly of the United Nations. Eliza was a finalist for the 2019 New Zealand Women of Influence Awards, as well as the winner of the Travel Category for the New Zealand Good People Awards. It was Really fun to interview Eliza. Uh, obviously, I work for Good Travel and Debbie is partnering with Good Travel. So we both work with Eliza very closely. So it was so much fun to, to do this interview with her. It was a lot of fun, Josie. And also there was so much depth in the conversation. Eliza spoke at length about global citizenship and what that means. Yeah, as well as being a wonderful woman and friend. Eliza is extremely inspiring. So we hope that you find this conversation enlivening and that it sparks further conversation for you and your communities. We invite you to consciously listen and engage with what resonates with you. Kia ora, Eliza. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Josie and Debbie. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here, Eliza. So we're talking about travel on this Regenerative Tourism podcast, Eliza. So we're curious uh, for you to share with us one of your first memorable experiences in travel. This is just a dream question for a traveller who hasn't been able to travel for, for over a year. And just having to select one is a bit painful. I just want to talk to you for the whole podcast about my travels. <laughs> <laughs> but I will just pick one. It might not be my first memorable travel experience, but I think it was perhaps the first most impactful one, if that makes sense. So I did my one of my A-levels in England. I, I was born and grew up in England. And one of my A-levels was in German. And for my kind of final assignment, I had to write an essay about Gestarbeiter, who were guest workers in Germany. So immigrants that come from different countries and work in Germany and typically send at least part of their money back home. And it was a really interesting assignment. And then when I finished high school, I bought a very cheap flight for one pound or something 
to Germany. It was completely random. It was where the cheapest flight was to Frankfurt um, with my best friend. And we embarked on our gap year, which is the equivalent of an OE. And when we arrived in Germany in Frankfurt, we really had no idea what we were doing. We got, we ended up buying a little play tent from a shop. We didn't even realize it wasn't a proper tent until we put it up. <laughs> and we lived in this campsite in our, in our play tent for, for, I think it was about six months. And it was very hard for us to find work because my friend was still 17. I was just 18. And so we ended up getting a job in a sausage factory, uh, packing frankfurters with guest arbeiter, with these guest workers who... I had, you know, studied from, from the classroom. And essentially, we were also guest arbeiter. I mean, we were from a very different background and obviously had a lot more privilege in our background. But in that moment, we were foreign workers and we were treated as foreign workers by the, the bosses of the, the sausage factory. And I think it was so memorable, firstly, because I'd studied it and suddenly it was it went from reading about something to actually meeting people and, and hearing their stories. and. We were united, I guess, with these other foreign workers in the way we were treated and the way we were experiencing life in that moment. And so the opportunity that gave us to really get to know people who, you know, I'd lived a, I traveled a lot as a child, but I'd still lived a relatively sheltered life. Um, And suddenly I was hearing quite extreme stories and having an opportunity to really get to know these people every every day as we packed our sausages together um, and sneaked off to the bathroom, I remember, to have shots when one of the um, <laughs> workers had had a grandchild born back home. Oh. And so there was all moments, but essentially what, what came out of it was, was the stories that I had the opportunity to hear and the realisation, I think, for the first time that, you know, across cultures, because there was every continent represented in this in the sausage factory we are so similar in in what we desire and and want in our lives and yet we we are so different in in our backgrounds and our opportunities to to achieve that and I think that was really opened up my mind a lot and and in a way symbolizes why I've continued to travel in terms of having that opportunity to connect with people and hear stories and have my perspectives challenged and, and attitudes challenged, which to me is really what, what travel is all about. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. It is what travel's about. That's why we travel, right? To see life greater than what we see it at home. Exactly. Yeah, to have our, our perspectives challenged. So how did you end up deciding to work in the, in the tourism sector, Eliza? I should give my dad some credit here. So my dad took me off on, my dad was a mature student and did his postgraduate degree or diploma. I can't remember exactly what the degree was in tourism right before my family decided to migrate to New Zealand. So my dad had worked in the theatre for a lot of his life and thought when he got to New Zealand, it was likely he was going to have to work in tourism. Um, And so he or he was interested in tourism. I might not be getting that story quite right. But um, he decided to do this degree. And anyway, he had this opportunity to go to these conferences, one in Portugal and one in Hungary. And he took me along. So he was the oldest student and I was the youngest student because I was still (laughs) in high school. And um, it was fantastic, you know, meeting these students all studying tourism from around the world. And everyone was so nice to me because I was, you know, 
the clueless high school kid. <laughs> and so everyone kind of took me under their wing and it was a lovely experience. Um, I didn't immediately study tourism though. I did my undergraduate in geography and then I came back to do my master's in tourism. And I think it was really more topic driven at that stage. So I had volunteered as a volunteerist in Guatemala during my gap year, once I'd saved up enough for my sausage factory adventures and um, had an incredible experience there, but really realized the problems that can be caused through, through volunteerism. And yet at that stage, I still felt quite strongly that volunteerism could be a good thing. And so I did my master's degree looking at best practice in volunteerism. So acknowledging that it didn't always help uh, host countries, but that in some instances, I felt at that stage that it could be helpful. My thinking on that has evolved quite a bit since, but that was, you know, about 12 or 13 years ago now. So, so that's why I ended up doing my master's degree in volunteer tourism. And then I think from then it sort of evolved. You know, I worked for a number of large volunteer tourism organizations, both on the receiving end in Peru and then on the, the sending and recruitment end in New Zealand. And ultimately, I, I kind of became on a, got onto a bit of a quest of figuring out what it, what it means to be a good traveler and, and to help others on, on that journey as well. And so through those experiences, that's how good travel was, was established, which is my social enterprise that I co-founded with three other women and which JC is now an integral part of. And Debbie, you're one of our fantastic partners. And yeah, so it's kind of gone from there. So it would be great to hear more about your thinking, how your thinking evolved, because we also want to hear the story of how Good Travel started. But prior to that, can you can you just go back a little bit and dig into what you talked about with in your master's with volunteerism, but how your your thinking has changed through the last you know years as you've learned more about um, what what you've seen as concerns, I guess, in that space, right? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, my first experience was as an orphanage volunteer in Guatemala. And it was at that stage something that a lot of British high school kids do, probably still do, um, going off to volunteer and, and save the world. And I, I was 18. I, I didn't speak Spanish, didn't have any particular childcare experience. So it was it was very inappropriate in retrospect for me to be volunteering with vulnerable children in a country I'd never been to before. Um, and I, I began to realize that right when I was there, but I, I carried on through, through that placement. And then that was part of the motivation. I actually had a number of other volunteer experiences after that, but that was what kind of led me to do my master's. So then as I was doing my master's, I looked at 10 different volunteer tourism organizations around the world and interviewed the operators, the volunteers, the host communities, and kind of came up with my framework of, of good practice for volunteer tourism and then got my first job as a volunteer director in Peru. So managing up to 100 international volunteers each month and trying to place them in, in projects and put them to good use. And that was very interesting. I mean, I was still pretty young at that stage and mm. it was a pretty amazing job to have. I had a lot of responsibility, um, but again, it, it quickly became apparent that, you know, a lot of what I was doing was really trying to minimize harm rather than achieving genuine positive 
benefits for, for the host organisations and communities we were working with. There were some benefits, of course, in terms of financial support that a lot of volunteers would bring in, new energy and awareness and that kind of thing. But I, I began to see some of the complexities of volunteer tourism, which were also starting to emerge at that stage and, and some of the academic work that was that was coming out and into the media and that kind of thing. And then after that, I worked for an organization in New Zealand that, that sent in volunteers around the world. And I think that the turning point for me was when the earthquake took place in Haiti, I think it was in 2010, and our phones in the office just rang off the hook with people wanting to go and volunteer in Haiti. And we accepted all of these volunteers. And then before even having a partner in Haiti, and then it was my job to go to Haiti and set up the volunteer program. And it was, you know, it was not the right thing to do um having a lot of you know some were some were qualified but a lot of inexperienced volunteers most who didn't speak Haitian Creole or or French coming in and it it just made me realize that there was a fundamental problem with volunteerism but and I'm talking about commodified volunteerism and I think it's important to differentiate between that and things like VSA and the Peace Corps, which are longer term qualified placements. I see that as very different to what I'm talking about. Um, and and I guess the, the main concern that kept coming up for me as well was around the power imbalances that were being created through volunteerism organizations, because volunteerism organizations like the ones that I was working for were selling this opportunity to make a difference and to help. And Actually, that was completely wrong, right? I mean, at, at the best volunteers were coming in and were not causing harm and they were getting a lot out of it and, and learning a lot through the experience. And, and so from, from those experiences, that's kind of where good travel grew from is my own thought process around, you know, how, how could this be different? That these are good people wanting to volunteer and you know, they're paying a lot of money to, to help others and they have good intentions, but they're being sold an experience which cannot be delivered and, and shouldn't be delivered. Um, so we're trying to kind of flip that on its head with good travel and really re, reframe how these kinds of experiences are, are sold and, and, and delivered on the ground as well through through partnerships with with local organizations, but also through telling our travelers that, you know, you're coming to learn and to, to have your perspectives challenged and to to connect with people and to listen and to hear stories and to build empathy and to build hopefully collaborations, but in a very different way of approaching that, if that makes sense. That's great. Thank you, Eliza. So good travel, obviously I'm I'm now a part of good travel, which I feel very privileged to be, but we'd love you to speak a bit more to good travel's mission and also the sort of core pillars of, of your work. Sure. So I guess our, our big picture vision is to transform the tourism industry into a force for good. And our, our mission that sits beneath that is to make it easier for travellers to have a positive social, environmental and economic impact on their destinations. And that's actually a lot easier said than done. It's actually very hard, right, to have a positive impact on on a destination. And so we see our role as 
as facilitating that. And obviously, because we work globally, there are some aspects of being a good traveler that apply to any destination, right, in terms of mindset and doing your research before you travel and those kinds of things. But then there's also very context-specific recommendations to each destination that you visit. And that's where we rely on, on local partner organizations and really ensure that our trips are developed in, in partnership with, with those organizations. And yeah, in terms of kind of our oranges, origins and where that all came from, I think I've spoken to that a little bit, but there, there was also a specific experience I had in, in Peru when I was living there where I was having dinner in this restaurant, which was a, a social enterprise. And the restaurant had been set up by a local social entrepreneur who ran a, a children's project and the restaurant was being used as a way to generate income for that project. And I was really inspired by that concept. It was really the first time I'd experienced such kind of obvious social entrepreneurship and tourism. And I don't even know if we were really talking about social entrepreneurship at that stage. It wasn't terminology I was familiar with, but I was thinking, you know, this is, this is how, what tourism should be about, right? There's this guy who has set up this incredible project but needs funding for it. He doesn't want to rely on international grants for the rest of his life. So he set up this restaurant and he subsequently set up a hotel as well that tourists could come to, have an amazing experience. They could learn about the project um, and directly support it through, through their tourist dollars. And the whole restaurant was decorated like it was a magical kind of children's world. And so all the, the menus were like storybooks, but then the, the food listed inside and all the staff that worked there were graduates from this project. And that was when I started thinking, okay, there, there is a way travel can be good and it doesn't have to be through, through volunteer tourism. It can be through really consciously spending our money as, as travelers in ways that, that does that do benefit local communities. I love how you tip that on its head, which is what we're talking about with regenerative tourism, right? That it's, in this case, it was a project that was being, a local project that was being supported by tourism dollars. And I think that's what we're being challenged to think about um, in New Zealand now, right? What is it that our community needs? What are some projects that are really having positive impact that are developed in the community first, so it's not outsiders coming yes. in? right? Like you talked about with volunteerism. How can we enhance community well-being with tourism projects or tourism dollars or visitor involvement? Exactly. Um, so you've already been talking to, speaking to this a little bit, but speak a little bit more about how you define good tourism. Do you have a, a specific definition you work with at Good Travel? We actually did a really fun activity a couple of years ago for World Tourism Day, and we put up a, a booth at, at Victoria University and, and created this big brainstorm where all the students and, and faculty could come along and, and write down their definition for good tourism. I think that, I mean, that's too harder than it sounds, right? Um, like I've talked about, but I guess that's the first step is you don't, you don't want to cause harm and you want to be, try and be a good person. But then how do you translate that into actually having a positive impact on, on a destination? And that, I think, is the, the hard part and where a lot of 
travelers need support and even at good travel you know our understanding of how to do that is is still evolving and so being being deliberate about how you spend your money about how you engage with with host communities doing your research all of those kind of elements are, are really really important but then also thinking about yourself as a traveler because travel is a privilege right it's something that only a, a small percentage of the world are, are able to do and so what does that mean in terms of our responsibility both in terms of how we travel but then how do we use those experiences to create good long term and so i guess that comes to the idea of transformative travel which is what we're do- doing more and more through through good travel is trying to use travel experiences to really challenge us and to perhaps change some of our behaviors long term as well and we've had some really great examples of that happening through good travel trips um a good traveler who visited iceland with us a couple of years ago and went to to one of the glaciers there and learned about you know how much the glacier had retreated and she had never really thought about kind of climate change impacts I mean, she thought about it sort of vaguely and she was a, a very good person, did a lot for her community, but perhaps hadn't thought as much about the environmental side of, of the way that she lives. And so seeing that firsthand and hearing from the local guide about how in his lifetime, how much that had been impacted really challenged her to, to rethink some of her behaviors when she got home. So to me, that's part of good tourism is, there's obviously the the industry side of how as an industry we we become better but there's also the traveler side and then how those two come together to create experiences that that tra- challenge travelers and get them to hopefully think differently and and behave differently but i think yeah the key is oh, as well that it is an evolving definition and we're still learning all the time i mean volunteer tourism is a a classic example right i mean in my lifetime I've gone from thinking volunteering in an orphanage in Guatemala is a fantastic idea to, okay, maybe by my master's stage, I was thinking this isn't always good, but it can be through to now where we deliberately do not offer volunteerism experiences with in global South countries during our, during our trips. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you made a really important point about the fact that it's not just about the experience while you're traveling it's about how do we take those things home and and can and how we've talked already on the podcast about uh, in a previous episode about how the experience of traveling or sort of that extreme memory or emotion that you feel when you're traveling has this power to change your whole thought process about something and I think that's really the the essence of the power of travel I think that's really exciting uh, concept yeah think about definitely so Eliza we want to talk a little bit about COVID-19 because obviously it's had an enormous impact on on the tourism industry here in New Zealand but globally as well and uh, we obviously know that for good travel it has um, changed a lot for the way we operate could you share with us a little bit about how good travel has adapted and uh, been resilient during this time and perhaps something surprising that's come out of COVID for you? Sure. So I guess to address the first part around 
how we've we've tried to be resilient I would say that has been completely down to our team and just having this incredible team of women across the globe who are really committed to what we do and we wouldn't have survived without that there's a an African proverb that says if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together Debbie's nodding so I think you've heard that one before <laughs> yeah I love that. and that has absolutely been good travel story since we've started we definitely haven't moved fast <laughs> um but we we are still here and we're still here after COVID and I think we've actually our team has grown since COVID started but we've all become volunteers so I think that's just testament to to our mission and our vision which I think are speaking to more and more people and are being seen as more and more relevant as as a result of the impact COVID has had on the tourism industry and the growing awareness of the role that tourism should be playing in in the global economy and in in communities and and in the environment. So in terms of, I guess, specific impacts that COVID's had on good travel, there's always been three areas to our work. The first is trips, the second is advocacy, and then the third is research. And our ideal is that those three all fit together and, and support each other. So we want our trips and our advocacy campaigns to be supported by the latest research and we want our research to be relevant and I think that's actually what makes us quite unique in that we really try to bridge academia with industry and and bring those two together so obviously our trips have been hugely affected we haven't run any international group trips since March of last year and um We have tried to do a virtual travel campaign. That was kind of in the very early stages of of COVID. And that was successful in in raising some funding for some of our partner organizations and growing our community. That was was positive. And we've also just launched our Go Electric Eco Tour, which is a domestic itinerary for New Zealanders who are keen to try out an electric vehicle and want to explore the South Island of New Zealand and support good tourism businesses along their way. We're excited about it because I guess it brings together a lot of the pieces that I've been talking about in terms of getting people to to try something new, to experience different lifestyles, to have their perspectives challenged in their own home country. And if we're talking about long-term behavior change too, our hope is that some people who try out an electric vehicle will love it, will get over their range anxiety, and then be more likely to consider having an electric vehicle as their regular vehicle back home. And there's research that shows that the most effective form of getting people to buy an electric vehicle is getting them to do a test drive. So this is an extended test drive. And so we hope that that will, that will be beneficial in, in that respect. Congratulations on that. That's fantastic. I think it's a first in New Zealand and I think you should be really proud of that. Thank you. And I should give credit to um, Nisha and Anna from Ecovilla because they are really the ones who had the idea and, and did a lot of the work for it. So it's been really wonderful working with them. And of course, all of our partners as well that have come on board and are offering discounts to anyone who downloads the e-guide, which is totally free. 
And we had a question from someone recently, how has this all been funded? <laughs> and, um, and I love that question. She's like, did you get it this grant or this grant? I was like, no, I wish we did. But it's been very much a passion project. And it's something we're really excited about because we think it has potential to be developed in other parts of New Zealand and other parts of the world as well. So please, if you're listening to this, have a look at our Go Electric Eco Tour and, and download the guide. It's totally free. You get discounts at all our partner accommodations and it's going to be a great experience for you. So, yeah, so that's how the, our trips have been affected. We are hoping to relaunch trips um, for next year. So there's hope in, in that area. But, of course, that was our, our primary income stream. So that was, that was pretty tough. And then in terms of our advocacy, we've continued with our blog. And as I said, there does seem to be a lot more momentum around this type of travel that we're talking about. So our blog seems to be getting more and more visitors, which is really exciting. And then in terms of research, we were involved in some research with the University of Otago last year looking at visitor pledges so Tiaki Promise which you'll be familiar with here but also other international pledges like the Icelandic Pledge, the Palau Pledge, Sustainable Finland Pledge, the Hawaii Pono Pledge and seeing you know why and how those have been developed so that was really interesting and again helpful for the work we do at Good Travel in terms of understanding how to effectively shift visitor behaviour. And then, of course, Josie did a fantastic piece of research for Good Travel last year looking at what good tourism means in New Zealand, which is available on our blog as well. Thanks for that. And while we're speaking of research, congratulations, you are uh, now working on a PhD. So we'd love to hear more about that, um, what your research is about. If you can speak to that for us, it would be great. Definitely. So when I, when I finished my master's, I told my husband, whatever happens, don't let me do a PhD. <laughs> uh, and then here I am 12 years later. And it, I see it as a result of COVID, honestly. I, I didn't want to give up on the tourism industry, but I needed a way to at least make a little bit of money to support my family. And so I decided to do my PhD and I got a scholarship, which was wonderful, um, through Victoria University of Wellington. So it actually feels like a huge luxury to be able to spend three years researching, talking to people. The writing up part might not be quite so fun, but that's not for a couple more years, so I don't need to worry <laughs> about that. Um, and doing something which will be really helpful for good travel in terms of how we develop and hopefully for other tour operators and for other families. I'll tell you about my topic in a minute around the world who are interested in this type of this type of tourism. So. PhD students are famous for not being able to summarise their topic. <laughs> <laughs> we should give you a time limit. <laughs> yeah, you should give me a time limit. But I'll try, I'll try and do it quickly. Uh, my kind of, well, I'll start with a quote, which is kind of where the inspiration came from. And that's a famous quote that probably everyone has heard, but it's from Mark Twain. And it says, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry and narrow-mindedness. And it goes on from there, but that's kind of the core piece of it. So that's my, my why, I guess, what is inspiring me to do this piece of research is, is trying to figure out whether that is true and in, under what conditions it's true and how, as tour operators, we can make sure that travel is fatal to, to those things. And 
from that, I've obviously done a lot of reading over the past few months, and my my topic has kind of evolved into, broadly speaking, looking at, at global citizenship. So how can travel contribute towards global citizenship education outcomes, specifically among children? So global citizenship education is acknowledged now as very important. It's included in the Sustainable Development Goals, in educational policy around the world. That term is not always used, but even if we look at New Zealand's curriculum, there's a lot of language which covers what global citizenship education is about. And one piece of global citizenship education is kind of the socio-emotional effective piece. And it's been acknowledged that that is the part that's quite difficult to influence through a classroom setting. So travel obviously provides a really good opportunity to contribute towards the effective dimension of global citizenship. And by the effective dimension, I mean the kind of values and attitudes and and beliefs that that people hold. And I'm already talking too long. (laughs) This is great. This is great. This is what the world needs, right? We need to understand each other more. As well as what's happening with climate, the climate crisis, but the connections with people and understanding each other. This is so critical. So please keep going. That's exactly right, Debbie. And that's, I mean, to me, that's what global citizenship is about fundamentally, is understanding those interconnections and the interdependency that we all have on each other as as fellow humans and on the planet more, more broadly as well. So... Yeah, that's what my research is going to be looking at, but looking specifically at children. So a bit of research has been done on this already with gap year, OE, kind of aged kids, um, study abroad participants and that kind of thing. But a lot of our values and attitudes are formed when we're, we're young, right? And so particularly... The like 10 to 13 age group is when you're forming your sense of belonging and trying to understand your, your place in the world and, you know, who your, who your people are. And so that's the age group I'm going to be, be focused on is talking to children who sit within that age group or maybe slightly older because obviously children haven't traveled internationally for the, for the past year or so and getting them to think about what types of contact did they have with host communities when they traveled from, you know, housekeepers and waiters through to perhaps if they were staying in homestays or interacting with kids in in different ways in, in host communities and then reflecting on those different types of experiences and how they have shaped their attitudes towards those host communities, towards those cultures and, and perhaps even more broadly to kind of how they then see their place in, in the world. So that's my plan. My topic still changes all the time, but that's, I think, the core of it and, and what excites me and what will keep me going for the next three years. I think it's so wonderful. And I think it's really exciting to see what your findings are in that space because these kids are going to be not only the future of of travellers, but also the future of the people that we need to be solving these problems that we're facing and the increasingly global uh, social and environmental problems that we're facing. So 
I think it'll be very interesting to see what comes out of your research. Thank you. So you're a very busy personalizer. You're running a business um, and you're doing your PhD and you're also a mother. And through all this, though, it's clear that you're extremely dedicated to this mission of transforming the tourism industry into a force for good. What are some of the challenges of working in this space and what keeps you inspired and keeps you going in the face of these challenges? A very good question. I think one of the biggest challenges we faced at at Good Travel is how to reach people and grow when we are so small. You know, it's like, how do you reach that, that tipping point? And I think probably a lot of small social enterprises or social enterprise run organizations, even if they don't call themselves that, probably face face similar issues. How do you make what we're doing kind of the mainstream? And I think, you know, we do a good travel. We have faced a lot of challenges of, of particularly financially. And I think people often talk about social entrepreneurship, about the kind of three elements. You want to have the purpose, the passion and the profit, ideally. And I think at Good Travel, we absolutely have the purpose and the passion, but we've always struggled with the profit piece. And that's that's held us back in terms of our impact, right? Because we can only reach so many people when we can only pay so many people to, to do the work. And I don't know exactly what the answer is to that, but I think it is it is something worth thinking about, not just for Good Travel, but because I'm sure there's other organizations out there like us as well, even in New Zealand, some of the most amazing tour operators and accommodation providers that are really leading the way in this aren't necessarily that well well known yet. So how can these types of businesses get the mentorship or, or the support that they need to, to grow? In terms of what, what keeps me going, I think it's, it's all the stories that I've heard and, you know, I started with that, that story about being in, in Germany and that was, you know, my first chance to do that. But I've heard so many stories from around the world from people affected by tourism and both positively and negatively. And I think that is, is what inspires me. And also this, a sense of, a sense of responsibility, I think as well. And that, you know, I've had, such a privileged life to be able to have had all these international travel experiences and the kindness that I've experienced from host communities along the way, which I'm sure is everyone's case, but it's unbelievable, you know, like I have many examples, but one that sticks with me was on that same trip when I was 18, arriving in Mexico and we only had travelers checks. I mean, we were completely clueless anyway. (laughs) So we were stuck in this little Mexican village between bus trips and there was no way to change our travelers checks. So we literally had no way to get out because we had no money left except for our travelers checks. And this, this woman like doing a collection down the queue of people waiting to buy the bus tickets. So, so that we could get enough money to buy our bus tickets, you know, and just completely, would never get anything in return for doing that. It was just a pure, kind act. And that have, I, that's been my experience wherever I've gone in, in different ways. And so feeling that 
if I can play a small role in, in making tourism better, then I guess that's my way to <laughs> thank all these people that have helped me on, on my, my travel experiences. And I guess, I, I mean, I have seen a lot of the problems caused by tourism too and just wanting to find a way to, to move beyond that as well. What are some of the examples that you're seeing? I think you've touched on it a little bit with thinking about all these businesses that are doing some amazing work, but is there some examples that you could share of things that you're seeing that are promising change for the industry and all sort of what, what are you noticing that's giving you hope about the future of tourism? Mm, great question, Josie. I think there's a piece of it is going to be the consumer-driven change. I see greater awareness amongst the average person around the power and impact of tourism. I mean, I think there's just been so much more in the media, right, about destinations that were suffering from over-tourism and now have wildlife coming back, people feeling better about themselves. Um, And so that's much more in the mainstream now, which I think is promising. And at the same time, I do think recent research and surveys are showing a shift towards more conscious and ethical forms of consumerism in general, whether that's fashion or food or or tourism. So I do think there's there's a lot of positivity in, in that side. And even when we're looking at emer- like the younger markets, and we just had an intern do a great piece of work for Good Travel, who she was still in high school and she was looking at inspiring youth travelers to be to be good travelers but some of the research she did was again showing that 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 generation are really willing to pay more for brands that align with their values and really care more <laughs> perhaps than than previous generations so i think that's that's all all really promising so that's kind of at the consumer level but then also at the industry level i think we're seeing shifts as well i think more and more tourism businesses now have a tab on their websites which says sustainability or corporate social responsibility, which can make it harder for operators like us to identify which ones are actually doing good stuff versus just knowing what the right thing to say is. But the fact that that's there is showing that, again, consumers are looking for this, but also that businesses are becoming aware of that. And I think that is a good first step that businesses are starting to think about this. And then there's a lot of higher level initiatives taking place as well to support that, whether it's the tourism sustainability commitment in New Zealand, the tourism futures task force, obviously in their interim report, but also at the global level, the futures of tourism coalition There's a coalition of tourism businesses around the world that are agreeing to certain principles for, for the future of tourism. So there seems to be a lot of momentum in this space and a lot of positive reflection that has gone on as a result of COVID, I would say, which I hope will will translate into action. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as Michelle Holiday had mentioned in our chat with her, she said there's a lot of people around the world, perhaps people who have had it harder than we have here in New Zealand, who are wanting something very meaningful to come out of this experience. Right. Yeah, so definitely. it's accelerated change, I think. And so I think we're seeing that, which is really hopeful. 
And what about good travel? What does the future look like for good travel? My dream for good travel is for us really to become experts in in travel as a tool to build global citizenship among, among visitors and among hosts as well. Because I think global citizenship is often discussed just in the context of, of travellers. And certainly that is going to be the focus of my research because that's where I'm coming from. But I think it should also be something which hosts can can experience and can learn about as well, right? So that's that's my goal for good travellers, us for re- to really become the experts in, in that space and to continue to be, I guess, a research-based social enterprise. So bridging academia and industry and ensuring that what we are doing through through our trips and through our advocacy is really evidence-based and evolves as we learn more and and adapts. And that one of our core values has always been transparency. And so really being transparent about that journey that we're on, which I think is exactly what you're trying to do through this this podcast is it is a journey, right? And we're still all figuring it out. And being open to to sharing what we learn along the way with others, I think is going to be critical. Yeah. Thanks for saying that because I think so many people feel like, oh, this is, you know, regenerative tourism. It's something new and what are we doing and how do we do it? And um, just you sharing, it's a process that you've been on. I mean, you talked about that in terms of yourself from the beginning, you've been constantly evolving and all of us are in that process. And so the more we can do it together, I think, you know, the richer that will become. So, we have been asking our guests on the podcast to give us an image of, of what does a reimagined tourism industry look like in New Zealand. Would you mind sharing uh, what that would look like for you? Definitely. I, I love this question. I think what I would love to see is the industry being led by social enterprises. So small community-centred businesses that are, are driven by by purpose and passion and are able to make a profit in the process. And I think there are more and more examples of that in in New Zealand as well. I mean, one of our, our partners in the Able Tasman area is called Waka Able Tasman. And through their work in tourism, they're able to source funding to then support community members to participate in in Waka trips out in the Able Tasman and also for youth to attend Waka armor competitions and that kind of thing. So again, an example of, you know, how can we use tourism to deliberately give back to, to communities? And I think it does tend to be the smaller community-owned businesses that are leading the way in the space. It doesn't mean that they can't grow bigger. I've got nothing against, you know, bigger teams. I would love for good travel to, to be bigger. But I think supporting those businesses to grow that have started from that point rather than perhaps ones that are kind of adding that on later, which is certainly better than nothing. But I think the ones that are going to really change the way that, that tourism runs are those that, have at their core that that sense of purpose. So that's what I would love to see is, is those social enterprises really thriving and, and growing and influencing others and, and sharing what they have learned on their journeys with, with, other, with others. And then from a traveller perspective, 
I think New Zealand, and this is really stealing from your research, Josie, but we need to be, well, we, we have moved, I think, beyond purely a volume-focused model for, for tourism to perhaps looking at value, but I think we need to move beyond that to, to value. So how can we attract visitors that, that share our values as, as a country and as, as communities and that want to support and have the kinds of experiences that the social enterprises I've been talking about can, can offer and how can our destination marketing support that process so how can we position ourselves as a destination that will attract good travelers moving forward well listeners now we come to the harvest segment of our podcast where josie and i talk about and think about and reflect upon things that um important points that our guests have shared with us through the conversation. And Eliza's episode was um, really thoughtful. I loved so much about what she talked about. Um, You know, her vision right at the end where she talked about um, us being a destination where social enterprises are really thriving and growing and leading the way and how they influence others and um, sharing what they've learned on this journey. That was uh, a great vision and if we could think of a way to grow those businesses so that if we had more social enterprises that were really impacting um, what travel is in New Zealand, I think that would be very exciting. Yeah, and social uh, social entrepreneurship is about that balance of, yes, make profit, but it's also about putting purpose and passion back at the centre of how we do business. And Good Travel was certainly an example of that, I think, is driven by purpose and by seeing themselves as part of a bigger ecosystem uh, in connection with communities that they, the host communities that they take travellers to and also with bringing their travellers into that as well. Yeah, and I think we've talked a lot on this podcast um, from the industry side of it or from the business side of it or the host community side of things. Um, we talked in the last two weeks with Trent and Sani about how we how how host and host communities can really think about the experiences they're offering and try and attach meaning to those experiences so that travelers can deepen their understanding for another culture or deepen their understanding for the environment and how important that is. But we haven't talked a lot about the traveler side of things. And I felt like Eliza gave us that opportunity today to really, in this episode, to really think about that a lot more than we have done. So Josie, Eliza talked about what you do at Good Travel. So maybe you can speak to that because that was great where she talked about actually being very clear and transparent with travelers about what their responsibility is when they travel with you. Yeah, this is really central to Good Travel's work. And Eliza spoke to this directly about how our trips are designed to connect people, to create more cross-cultural understanding, to develop acceptance and empathy. Uh, So really it's about building global citizens, which is obviously what Eliza talked about a bit and what she's doing her PhD research on now, Mm -hmm. you know, how can we use travel to build global citizens, which we're going to need going forward, right? We're going to need 
yeah. more of this connection across cultures and and these global connections in order to face the global issues that we're that we're going to be that are coming our way. Yeah, absolutely. I've been having conversations with people about that too. How do we get travelers to care more to to understand each other more, you know, different cultures and different places and to have that empathy and that caring and that compassion so they have some motivation to to perhaps change their own behaviors or be more, you know, have their, their perspectives challenged. And I think that's so important. It's such an important part of travel. Yeah. And I think it's about acknowledging the privilege that it is to travel mm-hmm. and therefore the responsibility that we have as travelers to understand these interconnections between ourselves and the businesses where we spend our money and the, the communities that we visit. Uh, and our connection to nature as well. We've been talking about this the last couple of episodes about how this building empathy uh, between people, but also between ourselves and the planet, right? Yeah. I loved, and you just touched on that. I love that Eliza did say that is what global citizenship is all about, that it is it is fundamentally understanding the interconnectedness and independency. That's what you just said, Josie, that we all have on each other. Um, as fellow human beings and the planet. And that, what she describes saying that exactly is what we're talking about with living, living systems thinking. Yeah, definitely. That's it right there. The ecosystem of connections and, yeah. Absolutely, that we're all connected. And so maybe that's our offering to travelers. Maybe our offering this week should be to travelers versus travel businesses. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think the offering is is for for travelers to acknowledge the privilege that they have in being able to travel and therefore their responsibility. So we want to thank Eliza so much for joining us on the podcast. It was so much fun to interview her. Obviously we work very closely with Eliza day to day. So um, it was fun to speak with her in this, this sort of uh, different context and to explore some of these ideas together. And I actually also want to give a cheeky plug for Good Travel's Go Electric Eco Tour, the free downloadable itinerary that was created with the intention of trying to drive human behavior change. Eliza said that, right? That the goal in doing that was to have people actually experience in a fun way driving an electric vehicle in hopes of changing behavior. Talk Talk about purpose and passion at the forefront of what you're doing. We're going to put a link in the show notes please go click on that itinerary download it and particularly for new zealanders um give it a shot there's all sorts of fantastic businesses businesses in there that you can spend time with and if you're not based in new zealand go and download it and then send it to someone you know in new zealand love it thanks so much listeners if this has resonated with you or you feel called to get involved please send us your takeaways what's inspired you or what you feel called to do as a result of this conversation. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on our website, goodawaits.podbean.com or on Instagram and Facebook at goodawaits. Our episodes are out every Wednesday morning, New Zealand time. And you can find us on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to be notified every time an episode comes out, you can subscribe on your podcast app. And if you would like to leave us a review, we would really love to receive your feedback. We'd like to thank both the New Zealand Awaits team and the Good Travel team for all your support. Specifically, Erin Carnes for your graphic design. 
and also Clary Macklin for your wonderful music and production. And thanks to you too, Josie, for all your effort in this podcast and the hours of editing that you're doing. And thank you to you, Debbie. It's such a privilege to work with you on this. Thank you for everything that you bring to the podcast. So thanks again for listening to Good Awaits. It's great to have you join us as we harvest the stories of our regenerative tourism journey in New Zealand. Mm -hmm.